it's that tangible, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just a, a, there's a beauty in, in who he is, in, in that name, Jesus. You know, the guys have been coming together and doing this for generations and it's still just as beautiful as it was at, in the beginning. You know, I just, there's something just so sweet and powerful about that. As I was standing there in, in, in worship, God just showed me this. He said, it, it says this in Luke eleven ten: For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's not talking about a Ferrari. That's talking predominantly about the Holy Spirit. That when we as a people ask God fervently with everything that we are, God, I want, I want to see the Holy Spirit. I want to know the Holy Spirit. Send me the Holy Spirit. When we as a community cry out, to God for that Holy Spirit. When we come together like we have tonight and are eagerly awaiting and asking God in our hearts, send the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to His power to flow through this place. When as a people we stand and we ask of that, it says just here that God will give us that. You know, as a as a, a community, as a city, as a nation, and as the nations, as we come together and ask God, God, reveal your power, reveal your Holy Spirit. He will do that. He will do that to you in your room. Brad was sharing a story with me during the week that when he got saved, he was standing in his bedroom on his own and he asked God to reveal the Holy Spirit to him and the Holy Spirit smashed him right there in his room with nobody else around because he came as a son to the Father and said, I want this thing. I'm so serious about this, Jesus. I'm so full on for you. I'm so desiring who you are that I want this. Man, we can be a people that, that understand that. God will just change radically this city and this nation. So let me just pray quick. Father, we just thank you, God. Jesus, we just come to you as a people now. We just ask of you as sons and daughters, God, for you to just reveal your Holy Spirit in this place. Father, those that have never understood or seen the power of the Holy Spirit. May you just come and just reveal Him. However you do that, Jesus. Whatever that looks like, whether that's at home, on our own, in a coffee shop, in a meeting. It's so important for us just to know you and to know how you, you operate in this place. So God, we just ask we just pull on your words tonight, Jesus, that so that you will send that, you will give that power to us, that in that you will reveal your Holy Spirit. Not just in us, but on us as well. We just thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done, that you're doing and that you will come to do. Your wonderful and powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Tithe. Tithe baskets. How's that for a slam dunk out of there? Get here. We still tithe, everybody. I don't need to tell you that. Still give our money to the Lord on Thursday nights. I just want to, I want to start by just honoring you guys. You know, I think it's, it's always so incredible when people come out of their home on a, on a weeknight. And it, one day it won't be. One day it'll, it'll just be the norm and, and we'll be able to operate like that. But I, I, I understand what it takes for families to come out of their homes and that there is a sacrifice in this. And I, I just want to honor you for that and appreciate you for that. All the children... Children are going with my beautiful wife and get the children to give their pennies over. Rio, did you tithe? <laughs> if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up and go to Galatians 5 and we're going to stay there all night about 1am and then I might move into something else but we'll see how we we'll see if we get through this thank you Winnie alrighty I've been thinking through Galatians as you will have known and and Brad preached last week and if you haven't listened to that I'm sorry the uh, the recording didn't go up but it will um, I've been challenged by this book and I've been challenged by understanding Paul and how he was writing and, and I too am reading that, the, the book by N.T. Wright and it's quite fascinating the, the depth and the understanding and the knowledge that Paul wrote out of and it's quite funny when we, when we read Paul's writings and how complicated they look but how simple they actually are and I was thinking through this and, and deciding, you know, should we stay here and, and, and go through all this this thing, and, and I was reading through Galatians 5, and I thought, I'll, I'll preach on Galatians 5 and 6 tonight, and I, I couldn't even finish 5 while I was preparing, because there's so much in it, and there's so much that is there, that I wrote about three and a half thousand words just on Galatians 5, just trying to understand what, what Paul's writing, and, and how we can actually put that into our life today, and, and do something with it. So I spoke... Uh, about two weeks ago, and I, and I was explaining the fact that in Galatia, they, they were a, a people group that were not Jews, they were Gentiles, and they were caught up predominantly with, with things of, of a dark nature. There was um, lots of spirits and things that they were, they were um, dealing with. And Paul writes and challenges predominantly that, but when we see here in Galatians, as I, as I spoke about two weeks ago, he challenges the, the, the dark spirits and the, the worship of other gods, but he also challenges the, the law and the things that, that the Jewish um, people and, and scholars of the day had brought into Galatians after he had established a church. So we're going we're gonna to go through um, we're gonna go through Galatians 5, and we're going to start from the beginning, and I'm, I'm just going to go through half of it. But I just want to lay that foundation that I, I did speak about it briefly, but there was an understanding in, in Galatia at the time that when you worshipped other gods, 
there was a, a, sl- a, a slavery that took place in a almost like a, a spiral, a spiraling down nature. That the, the more you worshipped other gods, the further and further enslaved you became to these things. So when we see Paul writing about, about coming free from slavery, he's talking about the slavery that was brought on by, their, by the people worshipping other gods. So he says in Galatians, in Galatians 5 verse 1, Sorry, he, he references it earlier. I'm just going to, you don't have to go here, but in 4 verse 8, the end of 4, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless, worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? So God's saying, I've given you something tremendous. I've given you the freedom in this, and yet you turn back and you continue to want to worship these things. Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul harps on this thing all through Galatians. He's harping on this yoke of slavery, this, this thing that, that it seems as though we can give ourselves back into this yoke of slavery, that God's freed us and he's brought us into a, a, a whole position in him, in his kingdom, but there's elements of our life that we can give back to Him and continue to give back to Him. And it's, as, as we read through this, we begin to understand that within our Christian walk, these are the things that we, we continually have to deal with, is this yoke of slavery. Are we going to give ourselves over in this area of my life to, to, to the darkness? Or are we going to stand in this place that God has given us? We heard Brad preach some, some time ago where he drew the picture of the two different areas of our life where we get to, we, we get to decide and, and walk in, where are we going to stand in these areas? Are we going to give ourselves over to this yoke of, of, of slavery, to this, this worship of other gods, if you like? Or are we going to stand in his kingdom, in the kingdom of light, and, and be a part of what he's building? The kids last week, I was, Jess and I were talking and I was explaining this through what, what I've been seeing and reading. And last week, the kids did... Um, up, in, up in Sunday school, the kids did a lesson that was this broken down so simply. And I thought, Flip, we should just get everyone down and we should just all go through this lesson. Like it, it was so phenomenal that they got two chairs, a black chair and a white chair, and they explained the different, difference of the kingdoms and how we, we give ourselves to one or the other. And I thought, Flip, there's a heap of Christians that don't understand how to stand in this kingdom and not give themselves over to this yoke of slavery that Paul's talking about. Galatians 5, 2 verse 3, Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Oh, my iPad just went weird. Testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. When we understand that, that what? Paul's writing is so full on. He doesn't beat around the bush. Right here he's saying that if we, if we choose to stand in that place of darkness, that, that Christ has no advantage for us because we're choosing to stand in that place. So we actually have to take ourselves out of that thing 
He's not talking about salvation here. He was talking about what, the, what had been placed into the church by the, the, the traditional men, the traditional Jews of the day. And he's saying that they've brought something into you that actually takes you away from what Christ has done for you. It's actually nullifying what Christ has done. So when we live our life and we walk through this thing that, that, Christ, that Paul's saying, he's saying that area of your life, that thing that you've got, you're actually choosing to give Christ no power in that because you're, you're standing in another kingdom. So when we actually take this thing and we, we apply it to ourselves and we apply it to, to every indiv- individual part of our life, we tend to find things that we're struggling in is we're giving the enemy power in that place. So when we have our, our marriages or, or our finances or whatever it is you want to take, when you look at that thing, you, you realize that you, you've actually got that in a place that you're nullifying the power of Christ in because you're continuing to operate that thing in darkness. So when we actually begin to evaluate our lives, we can start to see, wow, I, I haven't aligned myself, like, like Paul was saying, in that area of my life, I haven't aligned myself with Christ to actually operate out of the power that he allows us to operate out of. So when we read about Christ on the cross, we're, we're very um, excited and quick to say that, that in Christ dying on the cross, there was a power given, but then we fail to actually operate out of that power because we choose to stand in another place. So when you read this, when you read this like that, that's what Paul's saying to the Galatians, that if you accept to be, cir- you accept to be circumcised, which as I said week before last, is not the physical circumcision he's talking about operating out of the Jewish traditional law. And he's saying, if you're going to keep a little bit, you must keep all of it. And that we choose, we actually stand in a place where Christ will be of no advantage to you. Or effect. hitting the space bar and everything's going wonky and that's not what we want it's funny when we when we we deal with this because obviously jess and i are speaking a lot through about church building and and how we want to build something and how what we feel god calling to step us into and i was thinking through um other churches and and not to, not to build off their model, but to see what God's doing around the world. And it's interesting how when we allow little pieces of the law in, it, it, it enters in and it, and it manifests and grows in, in the place until we get to a place where we have no idea why that's there, but it's there and it's ruining things. There's a, a funny story. My, my father-in-law was telling me that he was, was in a, a church and he had just come in to help sort of co-lead it and when they used to bring the communion out there was this fancy cloth that had to get placed over the communion and it was a big deal the cloth had to be folded a certain way put in, in a special room and it was it was it was protected this cloth but it was it was it was turning out to be really difficult for the guys to to wash it and make sure it was so he came in he said guys what's what's the deal with the cloth he said, no, no, the cloth has to be there. It's a part of the ceremony. And they gave this exotic reason as to why the cloth was there. And he said, there was a lady in the church who apparently brought the cloth in. It was her cloth to begin with. So he went to her and he said, what's the deal with the cloth? And she said, well, when we were at another church, there was no um, fly screens on the windows. And there was no fans or air conditioning, so it was hot. So when we used to lay the communion out, the flies would land on the bread and, and get into the, the wine. So he put a cloth over the top so that the flies couldn't get it. 
So this thing, what started as just a genius reason to keep the flies out, turned into this whole, there was a whole backstory to this cloth and, and how special the cloth was. But the thing is, is that it went from, from a man's tradition, a reason to stop something, into this gigantic, that's the way it has to be done in order for us to reach something. So when we start looking at this with how we connect with God and, and, and the way it's supposed to be, you know, as, as we look over the church, we've created so many things in there and God's going, I haven't made it that, that hard. I haven't made baptism in, in my fire that difficult. It's not a fancy dance that you have to do. Come to me, ask, and I'll give it to you. I don't get up and pray at five o'clock in the morning. Uh -huh. makes, me not, makes me not a good, good church leader, hey? I'm not up at five o'clock. To give you the hot tip, I'm not up at five. Alarm goes off at 6.30, and I like drag myself out by seven, maybe. But we've created this thing within the church where it has to look a certain way. Yeah. The Lord hath forgiveth thee. We've created this thing. And, and, and you know, that's, it sounds silly. It really sounds silly. But that's what Paul was, was challenging in the church. He was challenging the old traditional law right there, which we've now made a new traditional law where, we're, where we've added our own things. You know, when Moses went up and, and, and went to the top of, of Mount Sinai, the Israelites were supposed to go with him. They weren't supposed to get what they were given, but they asked for that. And not only did they ask for it, they added to it. So we create this, this church, we create this thing, and then we create all these sub-rules that we have to have until the list is so long and it gets too hard. And we think to ourselves, oh, I don't know if I want to do this, it's too hard. I don't know whether two fast songs, three slow songs are going to get me into the place I need to be. I know that's a cheap shot, but that's the one that... So we, we get to this place, and I'm not, I'm not attacking the church for the sake of it. I'm attacking uh, this, this traditional way of man to say, guys, we've got to wake up and do this better. And I think the, the simple reality of how we do this better, I think it's so simple, and God says it, is that we close our eyes and we say, Jesus, show me your spirit. That's how simple it is. God, show me what you want me to do. When I'm standing in my room alone, God, I've never, I've never been touched by your spirit. I don't, know if, I don't know if this thing where someone's yelling or they're falling over, I don't know if it's of you. Would you show me? And it says that God will not give you a rock or a serpent. He'll give you that thing. Ask, ask my wife if falling over is of the Holy Spirit. She wasn't sure and she asked God and God slammed her and said, let me show you my power. That just came out. I don't know if she'd want me to share that, but it's done now. <laughs> Sorry, babe. When we come to that place and we say, God, I want to know you, he'll show, he'll show himself. I promise he'll show himself. Galatians 5, 4, 5, and 6. You are served from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. I want to read that first part again. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Let me tell you something. If a church leader does something wrong, they haven't fallen from grace. When we look at a church and this 
upsets me to no end. And we see that a leader has done something wrong and we go, oh, they fell from grace. Bless thee, brother. No, they're still right in the place of grace. They stuffed up and they will have the consequences of that thing that they've stuffed up for. And let me tell you this, they don't need you to tell them they're stuffed up. They know they're stuffed up. But they are right in the nugget, right in the holding place of God's grace. Standing in that place where God will redeem that guy back to who he was meant to be. Paul says here that that's not what falling from grace is. Falling from grace is actually grabbing on to the law, the traditions of men, and holding on to them so tightly and not letting go. That's, not, that's falling from grace. That's actually removing yourself from, from the grace of God and standing in the law. So when we get ourselves to that place and we go, that guy fell from grace. No, he didn't. He stuffed up. But God loves him just as much as as he does now than he did when he was leading that church of 10,000 people. You see, we get ourselves in this place where, where we, we, we check things off and we, we, we check these things away and we say, that's good, that's good, that's good. But God's looking at the heart of the man, the heart of the matter. And we find ourselves in this place where we have no idea what that guy's heart is. No idea. I read an article during the week and um, last Sunday... And it was awful, awful. And the only reason I read to the end was because I was so baffled at what the guy was writing that I couldn't stop. It was like a weird soap opera I was watching. But this guy was tearing apart another church to shreds, calling him for everything. And I was saying to Josh, I said, you know, he doesn't know the guy from a bar of soap. He doesn't know his heart. He doesn't know what, he's, what God's showing him, what God's revealing to him. He doesn't know anything about this guy, but he's looked in and it doesn't fit his understanding of a checkbox Christianity. And he said, he's not building what I think he should be building. And in actual fact, he would, this guy went as far to say that it was, it was not of God and that he was out of grace. Now, I know there's heaps of that stuff on the internet. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not upset at the, the guy. I, I felt pity for the guy and I, I, I prayed for the guy because I just was like, man, I hope God touches you and just reveals this hard-heartedness because it's hurting you. But, you know, we're not, we're not designed as a people. We're not designed as a people to call others out. There is wisdom in helping someone understand that they could possibly be walking in error. But it's not your job to call somebody out and tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Now, I just want to clarify that in the way that if someone has given you that platform, if someone has given you that voice to say, hey, I want, you, I want to be accountable to you, then you have a place to help them walk through into freedom. But we don't get the place to just walk around and start pointing people out and deciding that we know better than they do. There are people in my life that, that I've given that platform to and said, bro, if you see me out of line, you pull me up on it. If you hear me say something that's, that's not right, you pull me up on it because I want to I grow and I want to step into something bigger, but we don't get that place. <laughs> uh, is that helpful? Yes, I think it is. Okay, I'm going to move forward. Uh, Galatians 5, 7, 8, and 9. 
You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's what I was saying, saying earlier. You know, it's so interesting that, that Paul puts in this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, because he's talking about the fact that we have to guard our hearts and guard what voices we allow into our lives. We have to protect ourselves so that we aren't being beaten and batten and swayed backwards and forwards. We have to have, have wisdom and, and a little thing called discernment to understand, is that person helping me see the Father more? If no, then that's not helpful to have in your life. And there's, there's an interesting... When, when we lose focus, when we lose focus of what we're looking at, we, we struggle to see the things around us that help us change. There was a, a, um, an experiment done by a couple of psychologists named Dan Simmons and, and Christopher Charbus. And it, the experiment was so interesting, but they got, they got four people in a room, two guys wearing, a, a black, wearing black shirts and two guys, guys and girls, wearing white shirts. And they asked the people inside the room to, th- to throw basketballs backwards and forwards to each other. The black shirt people had a basketball and the white shirt people had a basketball. And they got 10 test subjects to come in and watch these guys throw balls backwards and forwards. There's a video recording of it. And they asked the, the subjects to count how many times the people in the white shirts had thrown the ball backwards and forwards. So they started the experiment, and halfway through the experiment, they had a, a, a man dressed up in a gorilla suit. And he would walk, he walked into the middle of the screen, beat at his chest, or beat his chest rather, and then walked out. And the experiment was called the invisible gorilla because half, half of the test subjects had no idea that the gorilla was in the room. And they wrote this article about the fact that the people who were asked to watch the balls being thrown backwards and forwards were so focused on the balls, so focused that their brain couldn't comprehend something else happening in the room. When we get into, just to take it to a corporate level and then I'll go to an individual level, when we have that in the church, we get so, so focused on something in the church that the Holy Spirit walks right in, beats his chest and we all miss it and he walks out. That to me is heartbreaking that we would be so focused on everything other than Jesus that we would miss what's actually happening. You know, the things that we're starting to see in this community, the, the, the breakthroughs and the, the, the power of God that we're starting to see has nothing to do with what Jess and I have done. It has everything to do with us going, God, we're going to look at you predominantly. When we come into this place of worship, God, we're, we're going to look at you and that's it. And when we're looking at God, we see what God's doing. When we focus on Him, we don't miss what's happening because we're so focused on Him that we can't see anything else. But the moment, the moment that we start focusing on something else, the moment we shift our gaze, we don't see what He's doing. We only see what that thing is. So that problem that we're having in our life, stop looking at it. <laughs> Look at God. That thing that you're struggling with, stop looking at it. Look at God. You know, when, when I was at uni, I used to check my bank account like every day. I don't know why. I was hoping maybe somebody would just put $1,000 in there. or you, you just keep looking at it. And then you, you get to this place where you go, right, I'm sick and tired of looking at 0.01 cent in there. I'm not going to look. And then God does something in that. Now, I'm not saying... Yeah, no, it's okay. When we, when we 
I was going to go, I was going to qualify, we don't need to. When we, when we as a church, as a community of people, of believers, put all that other stuff aside and stop looking at that, stop looking at the things that are upsetting you and go, God, I don't understand that. It's frustrating me. It's hurting me. I'm going to look at you. He will bring a resolve to that thing. And if you're in the right, he will bring that thing and he'll honor and bless you in that. If you're wrong, he's going to work something out in you. That's going to be hard, but that's good. It's a good thing. But we have to start to understand that when we, when we set our focus on Christ, when we set our focus on who He is, we actually, we actually begin to move forward because He's the direction we want to move. And that's why, that's why it says in the verse to, to set our things on, on heavenly places where Christ is seated. Set your, set your eyes on Christ and I'll continue to walk you toward Him. When we set our eyes on God, we set our eyes on Jesus and we walk that way, we will continue walk toward him i'm almost done galatians 10 11 12 i have confidence in the lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear penalty who he is but if i brothers still preach circumcision why am i still being persecuted in that case the offense of the cross has been removed i wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves firstly the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to the darkness. They are f- offended by the very essence of his name. When we come, that's why it says to come in the name of Jesus. When they're casting out demons, they cast out demons in Jesus' name because the darkness was offended at who he was. So Paul's actually saying, this gospel that I carry, it carries offense. When I bring you truth, it's offensive because it's different to what you originally thought. And the enemy doesn't like that. Jess rang me the other day on the way to the way to work, and we were we had a few challenges going on. We we're discussing through them. She said oh, she was listening to a preach by Danny Silk or Chris Fowles, and I can't remember. And she said the thing that stuck out more than ever she, is in this in this thing. He said, if if you're not being being fought against, you're not building something worth fighting against. And I thought, jeepers, when we when we come to our life and we we look back at the times we had the most struggles. It's because God was bringing you into something deeper and bigger. You know, I, I have dreams very rarely. I either have really, really good dreams for people that are exciting and I can take and tell them, or I have no dreams at all, or I have really scary, frightening dreams. And I, most of them I get out of my bed and run, scary. And every scary one that I've had, where it's been a, a, a snake's been attacking me or a room full of spiders or whatever it is, every one of those has been the night before something big was going to happen. One of them we were in Sri Lanka and it was, I nearly punched the guy out that was laying next to me. I woke up with my hand around his, a scruff of his neck and my hand ready to punch him because spiders were eating him and I wanted to help him. <laughs> but that day, that next day, we had a service that rocked my world. A guy named Keir Taylor just absolutely changed things. See, God, God, that stuff shouldn't frighten us because God has our backs in that. But when the enemy's attacking you and trying to bring something, it's because you have an offensive gospel that you're going to bring somewhere, that you're going to do something. And you know, a lot of Christians don't understand that, so they won't do the thing the next day. But Paul's writing here in this thing, I'm almost done. that 
why am I still being persecuted when I preach this thing? That in the case of offense, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you be emasculate themselves. He's saying to them, guys, the reason that I'm being attacked, the reason I'm being persecuted, because the thing I carry is so powerful and is going to bring the kingdom of God that the enemy doesn't want me to bring it. Why do you think when we look back over the scriptures, all of the disciples, bar one, were brutally murdered and persecuted? Because they carried something so powerful of the gospel of God that the enemy wanted to take them out. But it was too late. They'd already laid in what God had them to lay in. And now we have the scriptures that are still, the enemy still taking a beating from. When we understand that the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings power and is offensive to the darkness, is offensive and hurtful to the things of, of the enemy, man, we, we operate in a place of power. 13, 14, 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Please do not hide behind the immaturity of Ben saying I can go and do whatever I want because I shouldn't live by law. No. You were created, you were created to operate out of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. So when we operate out of a place of the world, out of a place of, of, of darkness, we're actually not operating in who we were created to be. God doesn't make rules up. He's not making a rule up and saying, saying, don't do this and don't do that. Don't drink alcohol and don't take drugs. He's saying those things because they're not good for you. That when you do those things, you actually operate out of a place that he hasn't created you to be. So when we, when we say there is no law, there is no law. The law was fulfilled and we now stand in a place of grace. But grace doesn't mean go and do whatever we want to do. We were created in the image and likeness of the Heavenly Father. So we want to operate from a place of that. So when we, when we are trying so hard not to operate in the acts of the flesh, it's because I don't want to do that because it's not who I am. And when I drop the ball and I, and I do those things of the flesh, instantly I come out and I feel, man, that's not who I am. That's not me. I, I went and caught up with some old schoolmates last weekend. And I was sitting chatting with, with I love these guys to death. They're, they're great mates from school. But I drove away and I, I was saying to Jess, you know, that's not me. Some of the conversations we were in, I was just sitting there like, I felt out of place. I didn't feel like, like I was, I, w I felt like I was in somebody else's house. It felt so odd, but I realized that's not who I am. That's not who I was created to be. And I started to feel saddened, not because they were caught in this place of, of sin, but more, more so that that's not who they were created to be either. So when we get in this place of, man, God, I know there's no law. I know I'm living by grace and, and you'll love me if I, if I do the right thing or the wrong thing. But man, help me to understand what the right thing is and how to do that. Because when I live from that place, I can actually operate out of who I am and be who you've made me to be and do the things you've asked me to do. Why don't we just pray? I won't make you stand because I'm seeing some yawns out there. It's okay. It's night time. I get it. It's good. We'll have naps. Let's pray. Father, God, we just thank you so much, Lord. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that, that whatever you're doing here tonight, whatever, 
whatever it is that you're, you're changing people's hearts, God, I just pray that you just begin to set that thing on fire, Lord. Whatever I've said that's not of you, God, I just pray that it just falls away into nothing. But whatever you have come to say here this evening, I pray, God, that you just begin to burn that in people's hearts. That when people go home, they take some of this stuff and go, God, what are you telling me? What are you trying to do with this? And, and begin to operate out of that place. Lord, for those who have, have never seen your Holy Spirit, for those who, who don't know what that looks like, God, I pray that you just begin to, to give them the questions to ask. Begin to reveal yourself to them in whatever way you see fit. Whatever way you want to touch their life, God, I just ask that they begin to become, become more and more on fire for you, more and more questioning about what it looks like to be, to be with you, what it looks like for your power to flow through, God. I just pray that, that you just begin to reveal that as in people's homes, in, as they're laying in bed, as they're cooking a, a, a cup of coffee, God. I pray that you just begin to express yourself in every one of our lives here. We honor you, Jesus. We love you. And we just declare your kingship in this place. We just thank you. and We worship you, Jesus. And in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I really do. I, I really appreciate. And it's so awesome to see all you guys tonight. It's awesome. It, it feels like home. It's great. Um, we have the coffee machine on. I don't know if people want coffee this late at night. But there is tea. There's coffee. I'm going to have about four. Um, go and enjoy. There is no church on Sunday. If you are hanging out with somebody, please tell them that. I'm sure we're going to have people rock up here, even though we've done a million notices. Tell someone there's no church on Sunday. And if you're not doing anything, invite them over for a meal. Have, have someone in your home this weekend. Love you, and we'll see you. <laughs>